Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. So we've started reassembling a community today. Uh, Many times I read something, hear something, and I think afterwards, why didn't I think of that? And that's why I remember it. Here's one of those times. I'm I'm reading a book by a scholar that I often read, Joel Green, and he's talking about the challenge of preaching the Gospels because they're narratives, they're stories. And what I remember was how he began the book. And he said, look, we have to preach the biblical story. And first we have to know it because if we don't know the biblical story, we will find ourselves preaching the culture's stories instead and using the Bible to illustrate what the culture believes rather than the reverse. And I'm reading that, I'm thinking, you know, yes, that can happen, right? We, we find a cultural idea that we all like and we find Bible passages to back up the culture story. So he mentions three. Uh, these need to be updated a bit. And if I was in a small group this week, I'd be wanting to add in a few. But here's the three he mentions. He said, here's three cultural stories or models. First of all, oh boy, this this has taken us back, uh, us older people. The little engine that could. The philosophy that persistence, who huffs and puffs. The, The idea that persistence pays off. If you work hard, You will succeed. Green says, that's a cultural story. It's not a biblical one. And of course, we know the downside of that story. Well, the reason that you're not well off is that you're you're just lazy. Uh, It's not a biblical idea either. How about this one? The idea that the world, um, because humanity is... Elevating is evolving, that the world is going to get better because we are getting stronger and faster and jumping higher and achieving more. The the storyline of progress. We continue to evolve. Uh, Really? Just don't turn on the news. We continue to evolve. He says that's a cultural story. Or how about this one? This one's in a song. I did it. The great cry for authentic living based on being true to yourself. Okay? <laughs> right? At the end of life, well played, well played in your eulogy because you were true to yourself, right? You did it your way cultural story, not not a biblical one. Okay, so what would the biblical story then 
B. Let me suggest to you, uh, we might say it like this. The biblical story, as opposed to the cultural story, and you can always tell which it is right from the beginning, is that the biblical story focuses on God rather than the individual. It's God that's driving the story rather than an individual, even with good intentions. The biblical story is God's work to reassemble community. It's the title of this uh, series. I didn't come up with the title, so may I say I think it's just brilliant. It's really good. I think the Lord is pleased with this idea that we describe his work in the world as reassembling community. But notice I've just put a little tag here because we might be tempted to stop with community. The work of God is to restore creation as well. Uh, the great vision, Revelation 21, is of a new heaven and a new earth. But of course, it's humanity, it's God's project with humanity that is the focal point. And let, let us say that it's God's work to reassemble. Why do we have to reassemble it? The first couple chapters of the Bible, the book of Genesis, describes the creation of two human beings within paradise. And the relationship between the creator and these two individuals is healthy, it's connected, it's life-giving. And then the community breaks down because of human disobedience. These two created beings do the one thing that the creator said not to do, and so this connection, right, breaks down. A connection that uh, you might describe as God actually walked and talked, was in the midst of those he had created, now starts to break down and Adam and Eve get separated physically. And so the breakdown of community begins and they find themselves now outside of paradise. And within that first family, there will be murder. And so sets the tone for, have you turned on the news? This breaks down, and this breaks down. The biblical story, then, is, and uh, th this is what I'll tell anybody who says, uh, you know what, what's the Bible about? And occasionally, when people find out what I do, they, this comes around. I just say, look, the Bible is the, the history of God's work to restore what was lost, to, to restore our relationship with the one who created us. God's work to reassemble community. So it's not very far into Genesis before that starts to focus on a person, Abraham, and the father of the nation of Israel. But we miss the point if, if I don't say right away that the biblical story is not about God's exclusive work with Israel, but his inclusive work with Israel because he tells Abraham that despite his age, that he and his wife are still going to have a son, and their extended family will be blessed, and did you notice it? All nations will be blessed through you. From the beginning, 
God focuses on a person and a people to be inclusive. Uh, this, this, this theme of inclusivity by starting with one group of people gets carried into the prophetic literature of the Old Testament, that Israel will be a light to the world, a light to the nations, and salvation will come to the world through, through Israel. This great project of God's work, again, fails to achieve its ultimate end, and so now it comes down to not Israel, but one Israeli, whose name is God Saves, Jesus. And so the project now of reassembling starts in earnest as the final stage of God's work to reassemble what was lost begins. That's the biblical story, driven by God to recreate the community between us and him and us and each other. There's the biblical story. Luke carries the biblical story forward. It begins in earnest. The final stage is with Jesus, and Luke is one of four writers, and so he will write a gospel and the book of Acts. It's, it's the second volume he wrote, the sequel to Luke, that is our focus. So if we come to uh, the story as I understand it, please note that I'm putting Luke slash Acts I don't know who it was when the canon was being formed, hundreds of years after Jesus died, when finally the church said, okay, these are our books, and then they decided which order are we going to place the books in. Obviously, they're going to start with the Gospels, but who came up with the idea to take Luke-Acts, which was written as part one and part two, and shove the Gospel of John in between them? Luke-Acts was part one and part two, like a miniseries. And like any miniseries, you don't really understand part two unless you understand part one. We know this. You ever uh, walk into a living room or a place where a family member is watching something and it's ongoing, it's a movie you don't know, and you sit down and you're completely lost. And you start asking questions. Well, who's that and what's this going on? Well, we should be asking ourselves the same thing with the book of Acts. We're going to focus there, but because this is part two, you'll, you'll see us trying a week by week to give you the backstory, to do some recaps, some flashbacks, and I will do the same thing uh, today before we're done. Luke-Acts is consciously continuing the biblical story. Okay. So I uh, worked on this this week. Uh, this is the way I'm going to describe what Luke Acts, two parts, is doing. Here's the plot. God's community reassembles around Jesus. This is the focal point. Expands without borders, but not without challenges. So God's community, this attempt to restore this, um, is focused now on the work of, of Jesus. Expands without borders. You'll see in Luke that the 
the community extends to the marginalized and those, those on the outside. Uh, you, you'll, you'll, see, you'll see women being included in. Um, you'll, you'll see the, 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 the gender barriers and the social barriers dropping. And you'll see glimpses, you'll see glimpses that even a racial barrier is starting to drop as certain Gentiles seem to be particularly uh, uh, perceptive as to who Jesus is. Expands without borders. Uh, volume one starts in Galilee. Galilee, that's just the north. Think of the Canadian North and how we think of the Canadian North, unless you were born in the Canadian North. And of course, the Canadian North is a wonderful place. But you think of how Torontonians typically think of the North. It's just up there. But the center of Canada, of course, is here in the South, in Toronto. Um, the Gospel of Luke shows us that the borders are also regional and geographic. Jesus starts his ministry in the north. Can any good come out of the north? We the north, really? And then moves to the center of Judaism. Volume one ends with the message of Jesus continuing even after his death in Jerusalem. And volume two takes us from the heart of Judaism to the heart of the empire to Rome. Luke Acts shows you the movement of the kingdom of God and its expansion um, geographically and, and socially. But not without challenges. It's really interesting <laughs> to see that this uh, reassembly project will face difficulties not just from the outside world, as we might expect, but uh, also from within. It's one th thing to see a vision of a reassembled community. It's another thing, even within the community, to be able to realize it because of the very human tendency to want to rank ourselves, even within a community that's supposed to be without rank. And you'll see in the different sermons how the church was struggling to do this without borders. And so the challenges come both from the culture and, and from within. So, Luke Acts is continuing the story. Hey, by the way, um, Luke, Luke Acts is not just part one and part two. Luke Acts is actually a long story. And I would encourage you at some point to try and read through Luke right into Acts and then immediately say, I got to do that again. You, you, you won't catch it all. We, we, we've just learned, I don't know where we've learned it. Maybe it's all the chapter divisions and the subheadings and the gospels, right? You, they, they all just look like individual bits, right? Jesus uh, heals the, the leper. Jesus teaches on this. They just, they just look like individual bits. Maybe it's the way uh, some Bible plans get us reading, right? Where we just sort of hop around and we never read a piece from the beginning to the end. What, what's that song? A little bit of Micah, right? And we just, and then a little bit of Matthew, right? Like we just, we're constantly hopping around. So we never hear Micah or Matthew because we're too busy, right? Just with our ADHD, just popping around and hearing it. There's actually a story here. Um, Luke, is, Luke is the book that I've taught more than any other book. And it's amazing to take a group of students along and not just in our minds jump to the end, jump to the cross and say, Jesus came to die. Well, that's an awfully long gospel if that's all Jesus is doing. But to see how one scene actually leads to another 
And there are moments in the Gospel of Luke where you see Jesus doing something and all of a sudden you're just, whoa, because you, you've been following the story along. So I would, I would encourage you to do that. I think each, each week you're going to see uh, listed, read this next section because we're going to be dealing with it. But I would really encourage you to read Luke Acts uh, as, as, as a mini-series. Okay, really good. Like any good mini-series, in my opinion, the best mini-series, because they are a series, and we do have ADHD as a culture, is a series that recaps what happened in a previous episode before you watch a new episode. I really appreciate that. I think I, I, think I realized how brilliant that was. Okay, this is going back. Uh, the the mini-series 24. Do you remember, remember 24, 24 hours to save the world? And I really did appreciate that, you know, from hour two on, it would typically be last week on 24. And I really liked it because you could forget who was being tortured in the name of freedom the previous week. Oh, that's right. That's the person who was tortured last week in the name of freedom, right? Jack Bauer, the, the Canadian transplanted, right? Torturing people for freedom. Remember, remember the series 24? Yes. The recaps were really helpful. Uh, Luke knew how this worked. Look, look, in the ancient world, um, very few people could read. And when Luke is writing, he is writing for an audience like this that, is not, that would not be looking at a written text. We're going to have it here. But it, but it was all performance. It was all what people heard. And all the more reason why Luke would begin volume two, we're going to look at the first 11 verses, would begin volume two by t reminding you what was in volume two. One. Luke knew this was important too. All right. Let's go to Acts 1 1. He dedicated the first book to Theophilus, who was probably a patron, somebody who had some wealth and gave Luke the money he needed to travel and research and not be doing what he would normally be doing so that he could write these two volumes. And to the credit of Theophilus, he's still the patron in volume two. This, this was a lengthy patronage. In my former book, Theophilus. Okay, here you go. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, he doesn't, he doesn't need began. So its insertion there is really interesting. Volume one was about what Jesus did and taught. Yes, it is. It's, it's about Jesus. But notice what Luke is doing, because he's setting up the sequel. He's saying, this is how it began, which makes you think, okay, then what happened? And that's the point. All that Jesus began, okay, now, the focus here is not on the cross. It's interesting because it's a sequel, and Luke is reminding us of what Jesus began because he's hinting loudly that this is what we are to continue. And notice it's twofold, uh, word and deed, word and deed, what you do and what you speak. Uh, I, would, I would say uh, Jesus's work was speech in action, right? What he was proclaiming he was doing. So it gives us a hint what Acts is about, because if we're going to continue it, 
It has to be more than just what we say, but also what we do. And not just what we do individually, but what we do as a community. All right. Let's go to verses 2 to 3. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Uh, Luke already, Luke already uh, described this in his gospel. This is recap. Right? At, at, the end, at the end of the gospel, Jesus has finished his 40 days of visitation and is now with the Father. Uh, when volume two opens, Jesus is back because Luke has rewound, rewound the, the story. So what does Luke want to remind us? Let me suggest there's two things, and they're at the beginning and the end here. Uh, the last thing that Jesus does is gives instructions again, after all he had preached and taught, instructions again, see this through the Holy Spirit? That, that, that's, that's, that's the dominant idea of what the Spirit does in both Luke and Acts. In Luke and Acts, the Spirit is the one who takes our words and gives them power. You say, Dr. Van, I don't understand why Jesus would need to do that. Well, I don't either. But the way the gospel comes to us is that the Father sends Jesus and the Spirit empowers Jesus. And Luke is trying to remind us that what Jesus taught them was not simply in his own ability, but through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? And so what, what does Luke tell us he talked to them about? His major theme in the gospel, the kingdom of God. Okay. Uh, you read the gospels. Pick one. Kingdom of God. Here's a parable. What's the kingdom of God like? Now, in this series, we are reframing this as the community of God, God's community. Hey, I really like this. Because every time Jesus describes kingdom, he is not talking about a country as such. He is talking about renewed community. I'm going to give you a couple examples here. But when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he talks about restored relationships. So in this series, this is what we're going to do. We're going to understand that the kingdom of God is breaking in because God is restoring communities all across the globe. Uh, again, Pastor John, I just think the title of this series uh, is really good. Uh, I think this is what the work of God is doing. And uh, so this is what we mean by kingdom of God, uh, reassembled community. Okay, let me take you to the first four chapters of Luke. In chapter 1, Mary learns that she is going to give birth to Messiah. Towards the end of that first chapter, obviously she had pondered this in her heart, but towards the end of the first chapter, she begins to try to express to God the, the blessing, the honor, 
that she has felt as just a young girl in a village who would have known who Mary was outside of her family and a few people? Women weren't. You know, she's just, she's just a girl. And she's trying to express to God. And, you know, her mind goes back to Hannah. Remember Hannah who finally is able to give birth and gives birth to Samuel? She's, she's relating her, her speech, what she says, way, way back. And, and in her praise to God, known within the liturgical tradition, and some of you come out of that, the Magnificat. She says, Lord, the proud are being brought down and the humble are being exalted. She describes salvation as status reversal. A different type of community reassembled so that those who think they are powerful find their actual place, and those who have been uh, maligned receive dignity. In chapter 2, Simeon, a prophet in the temple, actually holds the baby Jesus. <laughs> and he begins to speak because Luke tells us the Spirit had come upon Simeon, and when the Spirit comes upon somebody, they speak. So he says, This baby, this is going to, this is going to rearrange the, the place of Israel from oppression to salvation. Simeon describes salvation as the reversal of the plight of the people of Israel socially. And then he says, and a light of revelation to the Gentiles. This is even going to spill out so that, so that nations who have never heard will hear and be brought in. In Luke 3, Jesus shows up when John the Baptist is baptizing. And, uh, Luke doesn't explain it, but, but here's, here's Jesus in the back of the baptismal line. Can you imagine? Waiting his turn, right? Waiting his turn. And when he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him in such a way that the people there could sort of see it. Luke, based on the eyewitness testimony of those who have been there, said it was like a dove. And the Spirit comes upon Jesus. And then the voice of the Father speaks into the narrative, you are my son. And everybody hears that. With you I am well pleased. That's chapter 3. Spirit comes upon Jesus. Now it's in chapter 4. That Jesus gives us commentary about what he thinks happened when he stood in line and came up out of the water. He tells us what he thinks the Spirit was doing when the Spirit came upon him. So let me, let me take you to, um, to what Jesus reads when he stands in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. Let's go to the next slide. 
They hand him the Isaiah scroll. Wow, that's a long scroll. Um, he's going to 61. He's unrolling it and unrolling it. Boy, he's passing a lot of really good passages, by the way. He's going almost to the end. 61. Finds the place he wants. And reads this. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The Spirit's come upon me, notice, to speak, to proclaim, to proclaim in such an effective way that what he proclaims will start happening. Good news, that's the word for gospel. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel. And you know who it's particularly for? Now, we will misunderstand Luke, and we will misunderstand how Jesus understood this text if we simply see it as economic poverty, but it certainly included that. The poor in Luke's gospel are the people who find themselves on the outside looking in. It's monetary but it's also shame. There's a stigma in the ancient world against those who were poor. They didn't mean much. They didn't count for much. Is it different today? You know why they're poor. You know. There's still a stigma associated with poverty. Jesus said, you know why the Spirit's come upon me? Because this is the moment when the poor are going to hear something different that the good news is particularly targeted to them. Like Mary saying, this is the moment. Jesus says, this is my mission. When you hear poor, when you see the miracles of Jesus, when you see Jesus healing people, notice, please, um, not just through Western medical eyes. Oh, he's better now. She's better now. But see it in the ancient world that your lack of wealth, your, your, your lack of power, your, your lack of health was something wrong with you. Now, the ancient world was a shame and honor culture. We've revived it with social media, by the way. I'm not sure that's a good thing. The power to destroy a life of a social media post that gets liked by people who have no idea what they're doing and just. It's awful. There's a special place in the future for those kind of people, I believe. Sorry. And I won't be there. Shame. Good news for the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. When Isaiah first prophesied this, these were prisoners of war. These were, the, these were captives. Um, one of the reasons you'd go to war in the ancient world was because you needed a better economy, so you needed more slaves to do the work. And one of the reasons you went to war in the ancient world was to get slaves. And Jews were amongst them. Freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Uh, Dr. Van, should we go there in terms of disabilities? Absolutely. 
This, this is, in, in the Gospel of Luke, this is both physical and spiritual, right? They can't see reality, but it's also physical. Please notice that in reading Isaiah, Jesus is identifying that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him to proclaim freedom for even people with disabilities. There's still, even in our day and age, when we just tend to think, well, it's just a medical thing, it's a chemical imbalance, what's the deal? Isn't it amazing there's still a stigma associated with people who are blind or can't walk well? Or... And, uh, you know, where we have new sensitivity to the kind of uh, stigma associated with disabilities in terms of emotional strength and mental strength. Jesus says, uh, in this community I am reassembling, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to change the stigma, to take away the shame, and to bring honor. To set the oppressed free from whomever or whatever. It's a general statement. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Dr. Van, uh, uh, not sure where you're going with this, and um, I get it because I am trying to describe salvation in a way that we usually don't describe salvation. We tend to describe salvation vertically and personally. I gave my heart to God. He has given me his grace. It's a personal, private transaction. I'm good now. Thank the Lord. But biblically speaking, okay, let's narrow it. In terms of the ministry of Jesus, salvation may start like this, but it's not salvation until it spills into your relationships. God's just not restoring individuals. He's restoring the community we individuals live in. Notice these are all reversal of social status. Each of these is the good news comes and gives honor to those who've been dishonored. Voice of uh, Bono is uh, ringing in my head. Carried the cross. Of my shame. Of my shame. So this is a, a good recap of what was in the Gospel of Luke. And so you're catching now which direction this reassembled community is to go in. Okay, a few more verses in the first chapter of, of uh, Acts, please. Let's go to the next one. On one occasion, while he was eat, eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, right? Gospel of Luke. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, like Jesus was. Then they gathered around him and asked him, please don't, please don't miss the obvious here. Volume 1 and Volume 2 have a pattern. Jesus receives the Spirit, and his ministry begins. He's saying, now it's going to happen to you. You're going to receive the Spirit. Volume 2, Chapter 2. Pastor, John, Pastor Keith next week, chapter 2. Spirit comes upon them, and they begin their ministry. 
you should receive this power too. It's, it's the spirit that is the connecting point, of course, between uh, us and Jesus. Of course, we're not Jesus. And we can't do what Jesus did. He was the perfect vessel. He's completely in sync with the spirit. We got other little agendas and things we're working with. But it's the same Holy Spirit, which gives us hope. Okay? Next slide. Lord? So Jesus is telling them about receiving the Spirit, and they want kingdom now. They, they just want this to be over. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. None of your business. This is God's project to reassemble communities, not yours. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then here's this, the expansion. All Judea. Even Samaria, where some of you people wanted to incinerate some of them, remember? And to the ends of the earth, the disciples, now that Jesus has been resurrected at his back with them and he is giving final instructions, they are hoping, is this kingdom now? Are we done and he said, no, but you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to carry on what I began to do and teach. Just a word about witnesses, and it'll be clear in this series. By witnessing in the book of Acts, it is not what we often think of when we think of witness. It includes those private moments when you're on a bus with somebody and you get chatting or you're talking to a neighbor uh, in the hallway of your apartment building. But witness is something that we all do, and we do in clumps and clusters and teams as an entire community. Because if we are part of the reassembling of community as God's work in the world, then it's our community that is witnessing by the way we are being reassembled. So it's not just, oh, well, I, you know, I'm nervous about witnessing, Dr. Matt. For, unless you have the gift of evangelism, we're all a little bit <laughs> tentative about it. But this is other things, too, including what we're doing here this morning. Very good. Let's keep going. Okay, this is the last scene. You good? Good for a couple more minutes? Yep. This, this scene was already played out right at the very end of the Gospel of Luke. It's the final recap moment, right? At the end of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has finished his days with them and he ascends to the Father. And he goes up and it's really interesting that it is the first time that Luke tells us that the disciples actually worshiped Jesus. They followed him, they gave up for him, right? It's as if at that moment when he goes up to heaven in front of their eyes, Luke finishes his gospel and they worshiped him. Wow. Okay, we're back to that scene, but from a different angle. Here's what happened right afterwards. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hit him 
from their site. This is in a meteorological report. Look at I just just want to bring in a little realism. It was cloudy that day. We're thinking, yeah, tell us. We've seen cloud for 30 days and 30 nights here in Toronto. No, this is not a meteorological observation. What is the significance of the cloud biblically? As Jesus is taken up into a cloud, what is he being taken up into? Sure, the cloud represents the presence of God. Jesus leaves and goes up into God's presence, takes his seat alongside the Father, and a cloud hid him from their eyes. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. <laughs> right? <laughs> so they're worshiping him. Picture this, yes? When suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them. Oh, this is, this is a new little twist. One more. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. If I'm reading this right, and I'm confident right now that I am, he's telling them, stop standing there and go do something. Okay, now picture this. We know they've been worshiping. They're standing here. He's gone into the cloud, and they're standing there, and two angel-like Men come along and say, why are you standing there staring into the sky? Enough. He's coming back. Go do something. There, 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 there's a cultural motto. Um, what happens in, what, what is it again, John? Vegas? Yeah. How, how do you know that? Uh, what, what, what's the rest of that phrase again? What happens in Vegas? Yeah, Pastor Jessica just told you, I know. Uh, I tell you, a lot of worldly people on this staff, they're young, they're young, but still very, very worldly. Look to the older people for holiness. It's, it's a wonderful lie, isn't it? That there's a place you can go where there are no consequences. <laughs> that, you know, you can leave it all behind. Uh, the only thing you leave behind is your money, right? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. No, it doesn't. We know that because we're Christians, and we know that because we're Pentecostals. In our DNA, we know. And it's not enough to just stay in church and worship. That's fantastic worship today. When I'm here early and I'm seeing Natalie leading this worship team, I'm thinking, just Lord, give me the mic one more time to stand beside Natalie. Just one more, one more time before I go to heaven. One more, one more time. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that was a wonderful thought. We know that uh, in our bones, that when we praise the Lord in church, that what happens in church doesn't stay in church. We know in our bones that the power of the Spirit is not just that we sing better, Hold the notes longer. Sing more on key. But this is just the beginning, and what we do here spills out. It has to spill out, because this is about reassembling community and sharing it with the broader community. What happens in this church does not stay in this church. Thank the Lord.
So what is our story? Continuing Jesus' work to reassemble community within Toronto. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, by your grace, you have honored us and included us in your work. Lord, you are reassembling communities across the globe. May that happen here in this church, in this one church. Would you reassemble us and help us to keep reassembling until we get it right? That in this church, the good news will be for everyone without any kind of discrimination, that we will all feel the glory of the Lord, that we will all experience salvation. That is our prayer. And Lord, when we leave this place, having worshipped you by remembering your table, the last supper that you had before you went, you assembled your disciples around you. And then, then they went out. Lord, may we do the same. May we remember this table and then send us out, Lord, empowered as a community that you are building for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of your work. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you, brother. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time. Thank you.